Let's pray. Lord, you have given us so much. We need you so much, and yet, Lord, we recognize that you have given us so much. Lord, what we deserve is separation, and what you give us is love and tenderness and intimacy with you. I thank you, Lord, for our church family. I thank you, Father, for the joy of being able to sing those joyous words together. Lord, I thank you for the moms that you've given to our church and for the grandmothers that you've given to us, Lord. For the gals who have pointed us to the cross and to the Christ who went on it. Lord, I thank you for the way you have used them in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that this message would uplift and that, Lord, this message would be used by you to help our moms and those of us who want to support them to persevere and to stand strong in the gospel of Christ for those who come next. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have had some truly wonderful things that have been passed down to me. One of my grandfathers was extremely skilled with his hands, and the grandfather's clock that he made sits in my living room across the parking lot. My other grandpa fought in World War II, and I have the flag that was given to my grandfather at his burial, excuse me, given to my grandmother at his burial that is in a case on a shelf in my office. From my dad, I inherited many books along with his love for the gospel and baseball. And from my mom, I inherited the example of seeing a woman serve other people selflessly for decades with little fanfare or acclaim. And I am so thankful for all of this. It is natural for parents to want to pass on certain things to their kids. They hand down the family heirlooms and they, they pass on those life skills like how to change a tire, how to bake a pie. Hopefully they also pass on more important things like integrity and, and wisdom and a good name and an appreciation for strong marriages. For Christian parents, the primary thing that we want to pass on to the next generation is faithfulness. We want to see them take that baton and go with it, faithful, into the later decades. And the passing on of faithfulness is where we put our focus this morning, especially with regard to the biblical faithfulness passed on to the next generation by mothers and by grandmothers. This morning we're going to be focusing on 2 Timothy chapter 1, particularly verse 5. And I want to again read that with you. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now this was Paul's final letter. These are the last words that we have of the Apostle Paul. And this letter is full of emotion. If you read it through, you will see the emotion just dripping off the pages. The emotion that comes from a spiritual father writing to a spiritual son when that spiritual father is about to die. Paul was being persecuted. He was in a Roman prison cell from which he was writing this letter, and they both knew, author and receiver of this letter, that Paul's days were numbered. 
As Paul writes this gripping epistle, he remembers three things early on that he wants to relate to young Timothy. In verse 3, he remembers Timothy in his prayers. It says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So he wants Timothy to know that he, Paul, his spiritual dad, remembered him constantly in prayer. Secondly, in verse 4, he remembers Timothy's tears. In verse 4 it says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Why was he in tears? Because Paul was going. And Paul was going and Timothy knew Paul probably wouldn't be with us long. Timothy was in tears and Paul reminded him of that, of the bond that they had. And in verse 5, he remembers Timothy's sincere faith. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and then your mother and dwells in you, I am sure, he says. This sincere faith that he mentions was found first in his grandma, and then it was found in his mom. First it was found in Lois, and then it was found in Eunice, and now he's sure that it's found in Timothy. Due to Timothy's sincere faith, he says, Paul now reminds him in the next two verses, verses 6 and 7, due to Timothy's sincere faith, Paul now reminds him to fan into flame his gift of the Spirit. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit. There's that gift. God gave us a spirit, the gift of God. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This likely meant that Timothy was to renew his focus and renew his commitment to his calling from the Lord to faithfully pastor and faithfully minister the gospel truth. And perhaps Paul offers him this reminder because of all of the persecution that was going on around them, including that, was even, that which was even at that moment being directed at Paul, his beloved friend and mentor, he wants him to be encouraged as this young pastor, I think, is experiencing all of this persecution around him in his life. And so Paul here presents Timothy's sincere faith as the ultimate weapon against fear for Pastor Timothy. He wants Timothy to not live in fear in his life. And how does he do that? He wants him to recall and remember and grab tight on the reason for and the substance of the sincere faith that he had. He reminds Timothy of the sincere faith that he had in verse 5, a faith that withstood the test of time and was revealed by genuine fruit. As Paul says at the end of verse 5, I am sure that it dwells in you as well. He had seen Timothy's faith on display. He knew that it was genuine, and he wanted him to continue. Well, because of his faith, Timothy was to recommit himself to God's calling, verse 6 tells us, even in the face of fearsome circumstances that he was then facing. And if Timothy would renew his focus on his ultimate reason for this faith, then the Spirit of God would cast out fear and would provide him power. My friends, I can't tell you how comforting that passage is to go when things look so bleak and hear 
that that simple, sincere faith that grandma had and mom had and was given to me, that that faith in the worthy Savior Jesus Christ is what is capable of getting me through and dispensing all the power that I need to cast out the fear that comes into my life. And I hope that's a joy and a comfort to you. If Timothy would renew his focus on his ultimate reason for faith, then the Spirit of God would cast out his fear, and he would instead, as verse 7 says, provide him with power. And this would dispel all shame. Verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So this would dispel all shame if he would cling to his substance and the reality behind his real sincere faith. And he would then have no shame to be a testimony for Christ and no shame over Paul who was in prison. Can you imagine it? Persecution all around and you're the one pastoring a small church. All of the pressure's coming in on you. You're pastoring a small church. Your best friend who taught you everything you know in the gospel is about to die for Jesus Christ. Can you feel the temptation towards shame and the agony this would have brought Paul says he would also then be willing to suffer for the gospel, which was what this would entail, being empowered by the God who saved him through Jesus Christ. So Paul is relating to Timothy that a sincere faith in Christ and his gospel and his saving work is the ultimate weapon against the fears of life. Faith is the victory. Our focus today is on moms passing down that kind of a faith. It's on moms passing down that kind of a faith. Gospel-focused moms can cultivate fearless kids by passing down a sincere faith. Moms can have an active ministry of so presenting biblical truth through their lives and through their teaching and through their witness that fear is actually dispelled from their kids as they adopt that same genuineness of faith in their lives towards Christ. Moms, through their ministry, can be fear killers and faith awakeners as God uses them in the lives of children. Now let's talk about Timothy for a few moments because he indeed had a sincere faith. Verse 5 says it was sincere. It was sincere in the sense that it was genuine. This was not a phony faith. It was not a fickle faith. It was not the kind of faith that was here today and gone tomorrow. It was not the kind of faith that was there while he was under the home of his mom, but it was the kind of faith that went on for years when he had his own, if he did. The old King James says that it's unfeigned faith. So it's not pretend, it's earnest, and it's lasting faith. Paul reminds him that he had such a faith to encourage him and to help him persevere in that faith. Now we know some very important things about this young pastor, Timothy. We know that he was involved in working with people to the glory of Christ. He was the lead pastor of the church in the city of Ephesus. 
And he was tasked with the glorious ministry, the hard ministry of multiplication. As Paul reminded him, flip over a page likely in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul reminded him of the kind of pastoral ministry that he was to have. He says in verse 2 of chapter 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's aim for Timothy is that he was to take everything that Paul had taught him and he was to go and so teach that so well into the lives of other faithful men that those faithful men would then be able to go and teach others also. A ministry of replication, pastoral ministry. This is what Timothy was about as a young man serving Christ in Ephesus at a local church. And he, like Paul before him, was indeed willing to bear suffering for Christ. And we know that because in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, it says this, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. By saying that Timothy has been released, the implication is that Timothy was once in prison, once in prison for the faith of the gospel. He was willing to go even to the point of losing his freedom for the faith of the gospel. So he was willing to suffer, just like his mentor Paul had been willing to suffer. And we know that this man, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 5, we know that this man, his faith, was passed down to him from faithful women. In verse 5, we see his grandma, who was named Lois. And then we see his mother, who was named Eunice. And then we see Timothy. We see grandma, who's the kind of gal who is investing in the next generation. And then, to no surprise, we see mom, who's so serious about investing in the next generation that now we have Timothy, this young man, who also has this faith dwelling in him. Now, I want to say a little bit more about this young man and his upbringing. If you'd hold your hand here in 2 Timothy, but flip back to Acts chapter 16, I want to show you verses 1 through 3. It's page 870 in your pew Bible. Acts 16, verses 1 through 3, page 870 in the Pew Bible. Look with me at verse 1 of Acts 16. Paul came, this was Paul's missionary journey, to different locations where he shared the gospel. Well, he came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here we see that Timothy came from what seems a mixed family. His mother was a Jew, but she was actually a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't know how she first came to know Jesus Christ. His father was a Gentile, probably not a believer. There's no mention that he is a believer here. So this was likely a divided family. You have a Jewish mother who believes in Jesus Christ now, and you have a Gentile dad who we don't get any sense that he does. And he, Timothy, was a disciple of Jesus who, verse 2 says, was well spoken of by the brothers. So the church there that Paul had started, the church saw him to be a man of sincere faith. It seems from a young age, they began to notice that this man believed in Christ and yearned to follow and serve Christ with his life. He was a disciple. 
And in verse 3, it tells us that he was willing to give of himself for gospel ministry. Now, he was a Gentile. His dad was a Gentile. He wasn't circumcised. But verse 3 says, and this is, he's not a little boy anymore. He's not a baby. He's probably a teenager, perhaps a young man. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. So in order for Timothy to be able to go with Paul into the synagogues and other locations where the Jews would be sensitive towards a Gentile being present, Paul had Timothy, this young man, circumcised. You're smart people. You know that that's an act of suffering. You know that he's willing to give something up to follow Jesus Christ and serve him well in places where Paul was going to go. So he was willing to do this. So his grandmother and his mom, it seems, had a tremendous effect upon young Timothy. My dear friends, God uses means to save and to sanctify his people. He uses means to save and to sanctify his people. And God used the means of Timothy's grandmother and his mother to save and to disciple this young man. And my good friends, he does the exact same thing today. I am saved because God gloriously reached down and opened up my eyes to the gospel, showed me the glory of Jesus Christ, and awakened me to believe in Jesus Christ. I'm also saved because my dad did Bible studies, and my mom constantly opened up the word, and I had siblings also who were willing to share with me the good news, and I had a local church that was putting the gospel in front of me every single week on Sundays and on Wednesday nights when we gathered. It was always in front of me. God used all of those things to bring me to saving faith. And he does the exact same thing today. He uses us. He uses means. This young man's father was a Gentile. He was probably not a believer. And yet Timothy, through the ministry of his mom, seems to have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now we are not left in the dark as to how Timothy's grandma and mom actually went about doing this. We actually have a record of how they went about leading Timothy to faith in Jesus Christ. If you go back to 2 Timothy, I would invite you to turn a couple of chapters ahead from where we started and look at chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look with me at verses 12 through 15. It says there, While evil people and imposters will go from being bad to worse. Excuse me, I'll start at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So those with sincere faith who desire to please God in their lives, they will be persecuted, it says. If you will stand for Jesus, if you're legit, then you will be persecuted. And Timothy was charged by Paul to continue in his faith by remembering who had taught him. Now in verse 14, it uses the word whom. And in the Greek, that's plural. Whom, plural. 
Now, no doubt about it, Paul had invested much in this young man. But in verse 15, it says, From childhood he had been acquainted with the Scriptures. From when he was little, he had been acquainted with the Scriptures. So the plural whom seems to refer to Timothy's grandmother and mother, I think, quite clearly. They acquainted him with the sacred writings. Now, I bet he had some men who were pastor elders in his life who taught him. I know he had Paul, a pastor elder, in his life who taught him. But guess who from an early age acquainted this man with the scriptures? His grandma, and it was mom. They taught him truth that was found in God's word. When the word was read in the synagogue, I'm guessing grandma and mom made sure Timothy was there. They didn't have Bibles hard copies to carry around with them. So it's likely, I'm just guessing, I'm just speculating, but I think it's likely that they recited Scripture regularly to him from memory. They would have been pouring it into this young man's life. And they did so, and here's why they did so. They did so because they understood the profit that that kind of Bible investment can have. Because look at verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Oh, my friends, they understood the profit of investing Scripture into the heart and mind and life of this young man. And it seems they took it seriously because even from his childhood, he became acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, let me qualify all of this with two points. Number one, this does not in any way, I think you'll understand this a few weeks maybe, if we get to a Father's Day message. But let me qualify all this with two points. This, number one, does not undermine the ultimate responsibility or the vital importance of dads. In fact, this sermon could be entitled Gospel Dads, too. I would just pick a, one of several other texts. And I would tell you that as important as moms are, guess who the responsibility ultimately lays upon believing fathers to teach their sons and their daughters the truth of the word So please understand that the ultimate responsibility of this vitally important thing rests upon dads, and I don't want to undermine that. And secondly, this does not present a surefire thing. There is no promise here that a sincere faith will be found when moms and grandmoms do this every single time. But even though I don't think that's a promise that will always occur, I do think this is the general pattern in Scripture. That one generation, when they are faithful, faithfully passes down truth to the next generation. That generally, God does that. He continues the church by passing down truth from one generation to the next, both of physical children and then spiritual children who we lead to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it is up to God, but I believe he uses faithful women mightily in the lives of kids. I'm so thankful to God for many things, but I'll tell you, I'm so thankful that I had a mom who got up at 6 a.m. every single day and got into her Bible before she ever saw a single one of us. It was such an important influence upon my life. And it's not to make you feel guilty if that isn't your way of being in the Word, but I tell you, what I so appreciate is I had a mom who loved the Word and was willing to teach it to me. And so I think we can raise up the kind of gals like that in our church today.
So I believe, I am convinced that gospel moms do far more than wipe runny noses. I am fully persuaded that gospel moms do far more than clean the marker off of a dirty hand. I am absolutely convinced that gospel moms can do far more than drive back and forth from one activity to another or have a job to help support the family or to prepare tasty and healthy meals for the kids. And I am absolutely convinced that gospel moms can do far more in the lives of their children than simply ensuring a good education. I believe they can be used for so much more and must be. Gospel moms pass down a sincere faith primarily by introducing their kids to the sacred writings which tell their kids about Jesus. Gospel moms do that. They take that seriously. In a lot of different ways that's found. But gospel moms take that seriously. And single moms or moms with unsaved husbands, have an even greater responsibility here with those kids. And if this is you, I know your job is tough. But let me tell you, gals, it is not impossible for you because you also have the gift of the Spirit whom you can fan into flame if you have Jesus Christ. And you have a local church right here and right now that is saying, moms, if you don't have a husband or you don't have a husband who knows Jesus Christ and you've got kids, we want to work with you and try to help you teach them the truths of the word. We're trying to do that and we want to do it better. What's more, all moms you have a gracious provision from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we read verse 2, but verse 1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, we have all of the strength, all the power, all of the wisdom, all of the guidance that we need to be able to be faithful in this area of passing the baton to the next generation. We have the strength that we need, and he's even given us the local church to assist us in that. So, let's get real. Let's get absolutely real. How does a mom pass down a sincere faith to her kids? How does she go about doing that? Well, I think there's five ways. Five ways that a gospel mom can pass down a sincere faith to her kids. Number one, she must have a sincere faith herself. She must have a sincere faith herself. Moms, I put the gospel before you this morning. Jesus Christ, the perfect man who never once sinned, laid down his life and shed his blood to pay the price for all of your sins that you might be forgiven and have new life through his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ has done that from you, for you. And you moms and you grandmas, you must understand, first of all, that that is a gift you must receive. Before anything else, as a Christian, you must be a receiver before you can be a giver. You must receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and then pour that out into others. So please, repent and believe in Jesus Christ today. And if you have faith in Jesus, here is how your faith is shown to your kids as genuine. First of all, strive for joy in Christ. Strive to find joy, utmost joy, in Jesus Christ. Find your satisfaction, your contentment in Jesus Christ. So amazed by the gospel, so in love by his attributes, so appreciative to him for his guiding, careful hands upon your life, 
so needy of him when it comes to the truths of his word, so filled up with the waters that he supplies so freely that it shows. This isn't some phony joy that puts on a good face. This is the kind of joy that even when everything else seems hard, rests in God and is content in what God has given in life, knowing that if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. So, Strive for joy in Christ. Number two with that, strive for holiness in Christ. For the kind of holiness that has other people around you who inform you about sin in your life so that you might go to work killing that sin in your life. Striving to know God and to see that play out in your life. Striving after that. First and foremost, seeking joy, seeking holiness, taking care of your own relationship with God. And with that, strive to worship Christ with his church. If you're going to be the kind of gospel mom who passes on a sincere faith, I think it's important to make sure that you are worshiping Christ with his church. That when they gather for the uplifting of his name and the hearing of his word, you are there, that you are all ears, that you want to consume, that you might then go and dispense. And with that, strive to serve Christ's people. Strive to be alongside of them to minister to the needs of other believers and strive to make Christ known. Try to go with the church to take the message of the gospel to other people. My friends, sisters in Christ, I don't believe there is a 17-year-old son or a teenage daughter who will be able to argue with you for very long if you have a genuine life that is changed due to a heart that is set on fire for Christ. Oh, they may not follow. They may not like it. But how can you argue with something that's real? If it's not just something you say, but it's something you live, what argument can they offer? They may not like it. They may not want to follow it. But I tell you, when they see a reality in you, when they see a real person who loves Jesus living that out, I tell you, those years begin to go by and they begin to see the world around them look pretty bleak. And they see mom standing over there with all of the bleakness, standing strong in light. They see a testimony to Christ. And that, dear gals, is powerful. Before anything else be real with your kids. Be genuine. Secondly, gospel moms must acquaint their kids with the sacred scriptures. She must first be acquainted with the scriptures herself. Again, before anything else, she needs to be real, which means, ladies, you must be in the word. You must soak in the truth of scripture when it's preached when it's taught in different settings, taking it in that you might grow first. And one of the best ways you can acquaint your kids with biblical truth is by simply reading Scripture to them and with them. You know, sometimes I think we make it so hard on ourselves. We think that we've got to be so learned before we can ever impart any information to our kids. But you know what's amazing? God has given you His Spirit if you know Jesus. He's given you the ability to read His Word and to discern His Word. Why is it so surprising but here, and to think that you can pick up God's word with one of your kids, and you can read it, and you can have them ask questions, and you can do your very best to answer them, and you can help point them in directions that might answer it better. Open up the word and read it together. Find a time, Sunday afternoons, Sunday mornings, mornings before school, right after dinner, immediately before bed, whenever that might be, be in the word with your kids. 
They need to know that the rock upon which you stand is the same rock upon which they must stand, and the rock upon which you stand is the teachings of Scripture. They need to see that, they need to know it, and you must model it. And it's best to start young, though it is not impossible when they are older, certainly. And there are excellent resources that are available to help you reveal truth to them when they are young, especially. And there's a few that we in our home very much value. There's the Gospel Story Bible by Marty Makowski. Uh, my wife leads the kids through that in our homeschool that we do. There are some other books that we really prize, like the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Excellent resource. The Big Picture Story Bible, which our kids have loved by David Helm. Excellent resource. The Big Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden by Kevin DeYoung. Another excellent book to help you supplement scripture reading with lessons and explanations theologically of what the Bible is all about, namely about Jesus. So be in the scriptures and teach the scriptures. Number three, she must adopt the patient mentality of multiplication. She must adopt the patient mentality of multiplication. Again, Paul said to, second, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a lifetime commitment to what Paul was urging Timothy towards. That Timothy was to take on the kind of commitment where he was going to teach a few so that they could teach a few more who could then teach more. This was a lifetime investment. And should we expect anything less of a commitment when it comes to moms passing on their faith to the kids? It usually doesn't happen overnight. It usually takes years. Lois entrusted to Eunice. Eunice entrusted to Timothy. And Timothy was now going about the business of entrusting it to others. Oh, I love seeing people like Timothy in Scripture. I love seeing people like Paul. But you know what? I also like people like Barnabas who if it wasn't for Barnabas, we probably wouldn't have Paul the way that we did. And I love people like Eunice and Lois, who if it wasn't for them, perhaps we wouldn't even have Timothy. Women who so invested in a young man that he was used by God to invest in so many others. So take the long-term approach. You are making a spiritual investment in them for the rest of their lives and changes are likely not going to happen overnight, but begin now to adjust your lives around this priority so that one day it might just have a life-changing effect upon them. Number four, she must develop the discipline of prayer. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 verse 3 that he remembered Timothy in prayer night and day. Have you ever considered the possibility that Lois and Eunice did the exact same thing? That they also were committed to prayer? My encouragement for you would be to pray often and pray specifically that God would make your children into fearless disciples of Christ. I have several things in my kids that I pray for on a regular basis. And one of the things is that they would stand fearlessly for Jesus Christ by understanding and accepting the gospel and by building their lives upon its truth. So gals, pray with your husbands. Pray when you're apart from your husbands. Pray if you don't have a husband. Pray as you drive to and fro. Pray as you rise and pray when you lie down. The point is, gals, pray for your kids. Make that a habit. And number five, she must trust in the gracious sovereignty of God. 
As I've said, there are no certainties when it comes to parenting. You do not know what God has in store. But the normal model from God's word is that when parents take the ministry of faith passing seriously, we usually see a good result. So firmly grab your baton and extend it forward and offer it to that next generation. And as you do this, trust God for the results, knowing that he knows what he's doing and knowing that he is good and gracious in everything that he does. So now let me season all of this here at the end with grace. You cannot, moms, be good enough or near perfect enough in your efforts to pass down your faith. I hope this hasn't made you feel like you've completely fallen short. I hope you realize that you have a Savior who's working in you and through you, and that though you fall short, God can indeed use you. There will be times when you fail because, my friends, you yourselves are still a work in progress. We must instead rest in God. But moms and grandmoms, in God's strength, you can be used by God to pass on faithfulness to your children, and you can see them adopt a radical faith that dispels fear in service of the king. So moms and grandmothers, I challenge you this morning. I challenge you to leave your kids something more than a beautiful quilt, to leave them something more than a good education, to leave them something more than a financial inheritance, to leave them something more than even a strong work ethic. I challenge you to leave them with a sincere faith by modeling it and teaching it before them. Let's pray. Lord, I ask a special blessing upon the women in our church who are mothers and grandmothers. They have a hard but a high task that you have given to them. I thank you for the many joys of raising children, and I thank you for the lessons that we learn, Lord, when we teach our kids, but it's hard, and that we don't always know what to do, forcing us to depend upon you. I pray, Lord, that we would have moms and grandmoms in this church who are committed to the simple things of being faithful in our own walks with God and of pointing our kids through the word and through prayer constantly to Jesus and his grace. We ask that you would help us and that you would use these women, Lord, powerfully in the lives of children and that all of us guys, all of us men, all of us dads would be faithful to encourage these gals in their ministry. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.